0: We do continue our look at the 23rd Psalm as you have heard referenced in this service, as Jason mentioned last week where we left off is with a wonderful little tagline uh, that was offered by a young man. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I need to know, right? Isn't that beautiful? Uh, And so we're gonna continue this series, but the subsequent five verses after the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, have a lot to tell us about uh, the nature of our God, about our own human nature, uh, and about our relationship with, with one another. Uh, it reminds me of another story. There was a Shakespearean actor who was quite well-versed and quite famous for readings and, and monologues and, and recitations of various uh, pieces of literature. And he would always end his show by reciting the 23rd song. And he would get so dramatic with the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, that at the end people would rise to their feet in applause. And so one night, as he was closing his show, preparing for the 23rd Psalm, there was a young teenager, maybe like yourselves, who stood up and said, Hey, mister, I would like to do that tonight. He'd already seen the show once. And so, obviously, it's like, you know, if one of you said, hey, Jay, I want to preach today, I would be taken aback. I might let you. I probably would let you, actually. But it would be like that, right? It would be a little awkward. So, but the showman said, okay, come up and recite the 23rd Psalm. Except it wasn't excited, and it wasn't hurried. And nobody rose to their feet at the end of it in applause. They all sat there in silence, weeping. And the showman said, I've been doing this for years, but I've never moved an audience the way that you just moved that audience. What's your secret? What's the difference? And the little boy, confirmation age. The little boy said, well, sir, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. You hear the difference? It's one thing to memorize the psalm. We're doing that. We're learning it line by line. But unless we know the shepherd, what is the point? That's my prayer for this entire uh, series. That's my prayer for this confirmation class. It always has been that they'll continue to know the shepherd intimately and listen to the shepherd's voice. That voice comes through the church. It comes through scripture. It comes through mission and and service and, and outreach. It comes through music. It comes through all different means, and it tugs at our hearts. I want you to know the shepherd. So I invite you, uh, as we're doing each week, to stand for the scripture lesson. We're taking one verse of the psalm and pairing it with a gospel lesson. Let us stand as we are able and listen for the word of the Lord. Psalm 23, 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down, and he leads me beside still waters. And then from Mark, chapter 6, we hear these words. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him that all that they had done and taught, Jesus said to them, Come away with me to a deserted place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many of them saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried their own foot from all the towns, and they arrived ahead of Jesus and the disciples. As Jesus went ashore, he saw the great crowd, And he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Well, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, "This, This is a deserted place, and the hour is very late. So send them away, so they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But Jesus said, You give them something to eat. They said, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to all these people to eat? He said, how many loaves do you have? And when they found out, they had five loaves and two fish. Listen to this. Then Jesus ordered the disciples to get the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and he broke it He blessed it, he gave it to his disciples, and he set it before them, and he divided the fish among them all, and all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who had eaten the loaves, they numbered about five thousand men. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I hope you caught that. I hope you caught that 3,000 years after David wrote Psalm 23, Jesus, the good shepherd, on a separate occasion, went into good shepherd mode, and Mark says he ordered the disciples to sit on the green grass. Did you hear that? The good shepherd commanded the flock. He saw their hunger. He saw their need. He saw their desperation, and he commanded them to sit down. It sounds a little bit forceful, like what about free will, Jesus? Can't we do what we want to do? So that's made me ask a question this week. And that question is, is pretty simple. Why do sheep need to be made to lie down? Doesn't take long for me to lie down. You don't have to really tell me. I'll take a nap and lie down in a heartbeat, right? Why do sheep have to be made to lie down? There's an assumption that something is is keeping the sheep from being settled. There's a restlessness to the sheep. They lack contentment. So I shared last week, I've I've been laying alongside these scripture lessons and my own devotional time, this book by Philip Keller. It's called "A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23." This Philip Keller has some theological language, but he's also been a shepherd, so he tells us something about what it means to be a shepherd. He tells us something about what it means to be uh, a sheep, and I am learning so much from this study. I hope that uh, that you have this study as well. Uh, If you want to buy that book, please do. Um, But what I've learned this week is that when one sheep, one sheep, becomes anxious, it affects the whole flock. When one sheep has fear, paralyzing fear, it affects the whole flock. That when one sheep has emotional or physical or social realities, it affects the entire flock. I don't know that that's uh, fully appreciated by us in in Western Christianity like it would have been in the time when David lived or Jesus lived in the first century in in Israel-Palestine. Because, see, we talk a lot about uh, one's personal Lord and and Savior, and that's so important. But the Gospels and the Psalms, in this case, Psalm 23, they remind us about our corporate Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as well, our communal responsibility uh, to God and, and to one another. So this flock, called First United Methodist Church in Montgomery, it needs you, all of you who are about to join this church, are needed you're needed by this church to use your gifts and your graces to find out and to discover where the Lord is is leading us because at the end of the day as Jason alluded to in the children's minute saying and claiming the Lord is our shepherd and getting serious about that relationship with God as our shepherd it takes us from the seats to the streets right that's the ministry of the flock We follow the shepherd to the seats and then back out into the streets. So Keller offers something that's interesting to me. He offers uh, four basic reasons that sheep within a flock, or one sheep, as it affects all sheep, uh, become disturbed, become rattled, become restless, become fearful, and therefore it affects the whole flock. So I'm going to give you a rundown of those four things real quickly. One is a sheep can become startled. And when one sheep becomes startled it frightens every other sheep within the flock, right? You ever scared a cat that's sleeping, slamming a book or doing your, like some of y'all just jump. See, it affects the whole thing. When one one is startled, a doll startles all of us, yeah. Well, typically what affects or, or frightens one sheep and therefore the whole flock is either what is unknown or what is unexpected. Now, I want you to hear with that. I want you to sit with that. We fear the unknown, and we fear the unexpected. And when one person is affected by that level of fear, it begins to permeate the whole flock. And so the whole flock is on high alert and edgy, and they will not rest when their anxiety levels go that high. Hmm. The second source of fear that leads to restlessness is internal tension. You've heard of a pecking order among hens, you know, in a, in a coop? Well, with sheep, there's what's called a butting order. And a ewe will go over there and butt around another sheep away from that sheep's green grass or comfort area or the choicest food source. And so there becomes this hierarchy. There becomes this tension of of dispute, of aggravation within the flock by one ewe, and it affects the whole flock. Sit with that for a minute. Sit with that for a minute. What it does is it takes our eyes off the mission. It it, it, it affords the flock this internal strife. It affords the flock uh, the opportunity to take their eye off the mission, to move forward where the shepherd's leading when we get all crossed up with one another. And then it spreads. It becomes the natural norm If one sheep gets away with bullying the other sheep, the other sheep thinks that that's the norm. The third uh, thing so, sheep need freedom from outside threats, from that fear. They need freedom from friction within. But the third form of of fear that affects the entire flock uh, are things like flies and bugs and parasites. Now, we're going to talk a lot more about that uh, later in, in the psalm, but what I want you to know about it is how such a small outside irritant can begin to spread and affect the greater whole. Small irritants have a widespread impact if left unchecked. And fourth and finally, this, this one's quite uh, fascinating, uh, the fourth and final thing that Keller offers that will prevent uh, a sheep and therefore the flock from, from lying down or from resting or from finding contentment is the fear of hunger. Sheep fear uh, hunger because in a semi-arid uh, culture or country, green pastures are not exactly uh, at, at every, every turn. Like our yards are all green, you know. Uh, they're beautifully manicured and, and attended to, but that's not always the case uh, in the Near East, certainly the ancient Near East. So a shepherd has to work very hard to remove all the rocks and the brush and the roots to that brush. And there has to be some sort of way to contain water and then to irrigate it. And it takes a lot of, of attending to, to get that that pasture just the right height so that it's not overgrazed, but also it gives the right amount of nourishment. It takes so much intentionality for the shepherd to prepare a field to where that shepherd wants to lead the flock, because the sheep are fearful of going hungry. And future generations of sheep depend on the current sheep being fed. Now that'll preach, I think, on a week we're celebrating our 191st birthday. We also know this, about sheep who are hungry, that if they feel like they're not being fed, they'll go look for a greener pasture, right? We all tend to think the grass is always greener where? On the other side, right? So each of these areas, they result in a sheep and therefore a flock being anxious or being restless, Fearful, high alert, and when a whole flock is that way, it just cannot calm itself and hear the voice of the shepherd. But there's a remedy. The one thing that can calm fear, the one thing that can discipline internal strife, the one thing that can remedy outside irritants, small things that become so Big. The one thing that can feed and make sure that everyone is nourished is the shepherd. The power and the presence of the shepherd among the flock. At night, all the shepherd has to do is show up and the flock will lie down knowing there's no danger getting in this flock. All the shepherd has to do is is project his sound and the flock know that Green pastures await them. They trust the shepherd like that. You know, I've said this before, but the Bible has a phrase that recurs more often than anything else. You know what those, uh, those words are? Do not be afraid. So it's important to me that as we think about Psalm 23, that the first one says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's followed up immediately with our needs. All you need is green pastures. All you need is still waters. That's all you need to sustain life. A little bit of food, some fresh water. And it all comes through the shepherd. And if that is true about a a shepherd and a flock in real life, How much more true is that about our spiritual walk, our journey with God and with one another? We need a little bit of food. Students, you just received a Bible. I shared with you last night at the rehearsal that if you will feast on that word, every single day you will have all the nourishment that you need. If you'll pour it into your life, that light will become brighter, more meaningful, and more purposeful, as will your life. So what about this final section real quick he leads me beside the still waters what's going on with that well in a very similar way one of the things i've learned about sheep is they can go months and months without ever really drinking from a stream or from a water source it's fascinating and the reason why is that they arise very early just before daybreak when the dew has blanketed the earth that night and they go and they find the nearest vegetation, and they begin taking in every single droplet of dew that they possibly can. So they go months just on a little bit of, of water that has been provided almost secretly overnight. Sounds a lot like grace to me, right? The other thing is if they arise too late, the dew evaporates and they don't have any, any nourishment. So I just wonder what it looks like to reprioritize our lives in such a way that we arise early. We rise early to feast on the droplets of God's word each and every day to get us through that day until the next day. The other, the other thing I mentioned about being led beside still waters that's important, if you think about uh, the arid nature of, of the continent of Africa as well, a lot of times what farmers, uh, herdsmen will do there is they'll lead the flock to a cave and all you can see is this this black opening. And you don't know how deep it is. You don't know how dangerous it is. You don't know if predators are in there. But the shepherd goes ahead and leads the flock down this winding dark, daunting, dangerous path, knowing that there's water at the end. And then uh, what, uh, what Keller says is the shepherd will strip all clothing long enough to, to, to dredge out water, to draw water for the flock from the depths of this otherwise daunting cave, this cavern. Because life happens deep within the depths of life sometimes. And so I think back to mark's gospel where it says jesus led the flock the crowd to a deserted place and he made them sit down and he fed them i can't help but think that fear it pervades so much of what we do and and who we are and so much out there is so daunting but i'm just here to tell you that we have all been led by God's grace to these very waters of baptism. That's what confirmation does, is it circles back to baptism to say that he who began a good work in you at the waters of your baptism, the one who took the still waters of your baptism and disrupted them and placed that disruptive grace on your head by the power of the Holy Spirit will continue to lead you to still waters and disrupt your life with the grace that you need so that you can hear the voice of God clearly leading you. And I can't help but think, at least according to Mark's gospel, that the deserted, desolate place was transformed into something nourishing and life-giving. How often in life do we feel like we're at this fearful, desolate, you know, this place that seems to have no life about it, but God shows up. when God shows up in those moments... There's a transformation that happens. It certainly happens in the the human life. We take our ordinary lives and through the extraordinary waters of God's grace through baptism, we experience something that is transformative, and we are fed. That has happened, students, for centuries. We become members of God's flock Each and every time we celebrate this sacrament, each and every time we confirm students here, we're reminded of that. We're reminded that early on God hovered over the waters of the deep in Genesis, that God brought out God's people from the waters of the Red Sea, delivering them from bondage and from slavery, moving them safely, and that the prophets would call out that God's justice would roll down like living waters So these still waters of baptism remind us of the wideness of God's covenant with people. But they also remind us to keep the story alive, and that's where I want to finish today, to help children, to help youth continue to hear the voice of the shepherd. Because beside the still waters of baptism as a community, we promise to wrap our arms around it to protect children, And to be a part of their lives and their athletics and their sports and their music and their academics and whatever it takes to make sure that they know that they're not alone. When fear begins to creep in, when outside irritants creep in, when they're bullied at school, when whatever the form of fear is, we as a flock will not let them stray. And I hope that that teaches them to do the exact same thing when they grow up. Every one of us here today, every one of us listening by means of technology, we find ourselves in deserted and arid and lonely and desolate places. We all do at some point in our lives. I'm just grateful. I give thanks to God for the good news that Jesus is not scared of those places, that he leads us and he walks with us into those places, and he says, take a load off from whatever it is that's weighing you down and rest and be nourished. And and what happens is the muddy waters of, of life become the living water when Jesus is the shepherd. It's powerful. We're all rebellious sheep. Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray and need to be brought back. But every single sheep, friends, every single human being, needs a place to belong and is searching for God who created them, to be accepted for who they are, to be a part of something larger than themselves, to be a part of a family. And the thing about the local church being the green pastures and still waters of God's grace is that people get to come as they are. There's no entry exam God doesn't demand an audition. It doesn't matter how we look or feel or or behave. Belonging to God's flock means we're ready to accept that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that every one of God's sheep has value, that God knows every one of his sheep by name. And so I hope you hear the voice of God right now saying, you belong. You matter to the kingdom. You are welcome here. Come on home because you were mine. Amen. In your bulletin, you will find the 23rd Psalm printed. We are praying it each and every week. So I invite us to commit it to memory, not just to know the Psalm, but to know the shepherd. Let us pray together the response to the word. The Lord is my shepherd. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.